This evening, our text of pardon is Psalm 130, and as we read it, we also encourage the hearts of the people of God to take this psalm and to own it by the exercise of faith, cling to it uh, in the good days of the Christian life, but also in the difficult days of the Christian life. Uh, May you know that there is forgiveness with God, that he may be feared. Psalm 130 reads as follows, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Uh, Let us then call upon the name of our Lord together in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we praise your name again tonight as we reflect upon your glorious attributes, especially your loving kindness, your faithfulness, your mercy, and your grace. Who is a God like unto you? Indeed, you are worthy to be honored. And so we take this day that you have set aside from the beginning of creation, one day in seven, and we seek to redeem it, to find ourselves in your presence, joined together with our brothers and sisters in the spiritual faith. Uh, We ask that you would meet with us here in this evening hour through your word and through your spirit, and that you would Instruct us from your word concerning the deliverance that you have accomplished in and through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, that your name might be honored and glorified in us and by us, we ask that you would give us a biblical fidelity, a faithfulness to the word of God and to the truth that it reveals. We know that the Apostle Paul spoke long ago that there would come days in which men would no longer endure sound doctrine, but rather would be given to the itching ear syndrome, following all sorts of strange teachings. And indeed, that day has come. And so we earnestly pray that you would give within our hearts uh, a zeal and an eagerness and a desire to receive the pure preaching of the Word. And would you also give us a commitment to the authority of the Word of God? And may we gather with eagerness within our hearts to look together at what the Word of God reveals unto the church. And as we do so, we ask, Father, also that we might have a spiritual zeal. We know that the Scriptures speak of the Christian life not as a a sprint, but rather a marathon, and also of a, a warfare And we know that sometimes the days become long, figuratively speaking, and our hands can begin to hang down and our knees can grow feeble. And Father, if one of your children hears these words tonight and finds himself especially downcast, we pray that as we consider the truth of the deliverance that we have, that there might be the renewal of spiritual zeal and energy, at least the strength to go forward day by day. And we ask also, Lord, that you would cause your church to grow, especially through the preaching of the Word. Now, we ask that your church would grow in grace. We ask that your church would grow in numbers. 
And we ask that your church would grow in a boldness with relational evangelism, uh, speaking to our uh, neighbors and to our co-workers, especially in this time of year uh, in the, so to speak, Christianized West as many of our co-workers and our neighbors, even if they are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, still go through the motions of the Christmas season. May we, in a winsome way, be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have based upon our understanding of the Advent season and of the importance of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we lift up our prayers for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, both here and also in other congregations. Uh, We pray, Lord, for the office bearers here. Uh, We pray for Reverend Londosri and the work in Quito, Ecuador. We pray for Luz de Vida and the office bearers there. We pray also for Reverend Colin Welch uh, and the church plant uh, and for their provision and need of office bearers along with a place to meet. And Lord, as we think of all of the various places in which the church manifests herself, we see that there is a continual need for wisdom and leadership. And so we look to you and we ask that you would provide for today and also for tomorrow, uh, that the leadership of the congregation might have their hearts bound to the Word of God, and that by your Spirit and by the leadership of such persons, uh, that the true church would continue to manifest herself, showing forth the three marks, the faithful preaching of the Word, the proper administration of the sacraments, as well as the faithful exercise of Christian discipline. And through all of these Uh, May the purity of doctrine be preserved, and may the spiritual well-being of your people also be increased. We pray for the homes of the church, for the relationships within those homes, for the marriages. Uh, Father, whether uh, the marriages have been established many, many years ago, or whether the marriages have been more recently established, we ask for a superabundance of grace to be given to protect from the temptations that the evil, evil one would bring about. Also, may our homes be uh, godly places uh, in which evil is kept uh, far away and in which godliness and holiness is evident. We pray, Father, for the relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children and also extended relationships. And in those areas in which those relationships are strained, we pray for reconciliation. And if there is to be confession of sin, we pray that there might be genuine repentance and also then exercises of forgiveness. Now we pray, Father, for the physical safety and health of our congregation. We know that there are many with seasonal illnesses. We ask that you would grant them uh, renewed health and strength. Uh, We pray especially for our children as they go about their day-to-day activities. We thank you for the freedoms that we have in our land to train our children according to the doctrines of the Word of God. And whether that takes place in our homes or in a day school setting, we ask, Lord, for the safety of our children, for the physical safety, for we read of news reports from time to time of horrific acts of violence against uh, young children. We ask, Lord, that you would protect our children. And so we're thankful for first responders, for uh, police and fire and EMT, and also for the administrators and the various persons of leadership within our schools. Give them much wisdom and vigilance in all matters. And we pray for the spiritual safety and nurturing of our children. And may they not succumb to false teachings, to false ideologies, but may they stick with 
the simple gospel message of Jesus Christ. We ask also for a blessing upon seminaries and for the training of men for the gospel ministry. We pray that you would bless Dan Hofflin along with his family as he continues his studies. We ask that you would prepare him to go forth in your service to, in due time, preach the Word of God with clarity and with boldness. And we ask that that Word of God also might be proclaimed clearly here tonight. And so give uh, wisdom and give strength and uh, give receptivity, uh, give open minds and open hearts, and would the Spirit bless that which we do uh, here in this evening hour. We think also of the community in which we live, uh, and Father, we are uh, mindful once again of Ryan Nadelborg and his ongoing recovery. Father, we don't know exactly uh, where he is in that path of recovery physically and also emotionally, but we pray for him and for his family. And we ask that you would give them that which they stand in need of. We also think of our nation, and we bemoan the fact that marriage continues to be attacked, even under the guise of those who would claim to respect marriage. We find much that attacks marriage. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have given us clear teachings concerning this creation ordinance. And we thank you that although wicked men may deny and twist and pervert these ordinances, we thank you that they stand. And so we thank you that marriage is indeed a committed relationship of one man and one woman, and that it is the blessed context in which you would have children to be raised. And so we ask that you would turn the hearts of those leaders whose hearts need to be turned, humble those who are proud, who lift up their fist in defiance, and proclaim that they will change times, that they will change these creation ordinances. May they come to see the absolute foolishness of their boasting. But we pray especially for the church that far too often has been too silent or who has even been a handmaiden of such false teachings, denying the basics uh, concerning uh, these creation ordinances. We know that judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And so, Father, we ask that you would look upon us also in your grace and in your mercy and restore the years which the locusts have consumed. And so we pray for reform, for biblical reform in all areas of doctrine and of life within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this looking forward uh, with hope and anticipation for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in whose name we pray, amen. We'll then turn together to our song of preparation and if you will allow me a word of explanation, uh, I recognize that this is not the most familiar song, uh, but I trust if we do our due diligence that we can make it through. But I really want to emphasize that these songs are chosen because of the words. And I trust if you pay careful attention to the verses that we've chosen, verses 1, 2, and 6, and then continue to reflect upon those themes as we make our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 5, and our sermon, Deliverance by Satisfaction, you'll notice uh, the appropriateness and really the beauty and the wonder of the truths that are communicated in these words. Uh, so we'll stand together to sing stanzas 1, 2, and 6 from selection 430. 
This evening in your Bibles, we would encourage you to turn to Hebrews 2 in your pew Bible. You can find that on page 1,373. Uh, we'll also be reading from Lord's Day 5 in our Forms and Prayers book. That's found on page 205. So we continue making our way Lord's Day by Lord's Day through the doctrines of uh, the Reformed faith as we have it in the Heidelberg Catechism. We come this evening to Lord's Day 5, the first Lord's Day of the section that is entitled The Manner of Our Deliverance. Uh, so we have spent a few weeks considering our sin and our misery. We come now to the beginning of the lengthiest section in the Heidelberg Catechism that deals with the manner of deliverance or how we are set free uh, from our sin and how we are redeemed from our misery. Uh, we read Hebrews 2 in connection with Lord's Day 5. So here now together the reading of the Word of God. Uh, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, from whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. And again I will put my trust in him. And again here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And thus far this evening, our reading from the Word of God. We then turn to Lord's Day 5, and question 12 asks, According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity, how then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? And the answer, God requires that his justice be satisfied. 
Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Question 13, can we make this payment ourselves? And the answer, certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Question 14, can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? And the answer, no. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. And then question 15, what kind of mediator and deliverer should we then look for? And the answer, one who is true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Acts 16, verse 30, it is recorded the question that the Philippian jailer had for Paul. And the question that the Philippian jailer had for Paul is a question that Lord's Day 5 is dealing with. And that question is also a question that must arise within our hearts and must be answered by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is simply this. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now, thanks be to God, congregation, that the answer is very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Notice that the question is answered with a focus upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is not answered by a focus upon the Philippian jailer. The deliverance is not something that we ourselves can accomplish. Salvation is not something that we can somehow earn or obtain. Yes, it is true there must be the personal exercise of faith, the Philippian jailer, and we understand that his faith is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit within his heart. The Philippian jailer must believe, but he must believe with his faith exercised towards the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for the encouragement of the exercise of our faith, tonight I want to look at Hebrews 2 and also Lord's Day 5. And try to answer this question. What must take place before the throne of a holy God for you, for me, to be saved? And so we have this theme, deliverance by satisfaction. Because that's really the answer. For you to be saved, for me to be saved... God's justice, that is, the attribute of His holiness and His righteousness, whereby He establishes that which is morally good and also then punishes that which is morally evil. In order for there to be salvation, God's justice must be satisfied. So deliverance is only by the way of satisfaction. And we want to take that apart by looking at three points. First of all, the need for satisfaction, but then secondly, the inability of satisfaction, 
And then thirdly, the way of satisfaction. And, and notice the, uh, the, the paradox, so to speak. First, we're going to speak about the need for satisfaction, that God's justice has to be satisfied. And then we're going to, in the second point, say, but you and I are completely unable to satisfy that righteousness. And that leaves us with an apparent dilemma until we come to the third point and identify that there is a way by which God's justice has been satisfied. So first of all, then, the need for satisfaction arises out of an awareness that recognizes the goal for this satisfaction. The awareness of the need has to be a personal, what we call an experiential need. You can think of it this way. Many of us, and I know perhaps the medical community uh, cringes when we say this, but we believe it is true. Many of us, sadly, we do not seek medical attention until we become personally, experientially aware that indeed we do need medical attention. Uh, how many men have been told by their wives, you ought to go to the doctor, for the man simply to reply, ah, it's not that bad. Well, spiritually speaking, we need to come to the point underneath the ministry of the Spirit and the Word where we recognize, yes, I need a spiritual physician. My misery is really that bad. My guilt really is that significant. I need deliverance. And this recognition comes, as we alluded to, the testimony of the Word of God. For example, Psalm 130, it's so crystal clear. Lord, if you should begin to mark iniquities, who could stand? You know, boys and girls, maybe, I don't know how it goes in your school. I remember when I was in grade school, the teacher would take attendance, and, and they had, this is before computers. You might be surprised by that, but long before computers. And so the teachers would have a paper and a pencil or an ink pen, and they had an attendance book, and they would call your name, and they would make a little check mark. Now, that's something of the idea. Lord, if you should begin to mark iniquities, if you would call out our sins and put a check mark behind our name, not one of us would be left standing. I mean, who of us, if, if asked, stand if you are without sin, I trust none of us would dare stand. And say, oh, I am without sin. And so the Word comes and it testifies objectively that yes, we've fallen short of the glory of God. And then the, the Holy Spirit, not, not separate from the Word, but along with the Word, drives that testimony into the very depths of our hearts so that we then cry out, oh, wretched man that I am. So it's not just an intellectual acknowledgement. Sure, I've sinned. No, it's rather a cry, Lord, I have sinned. And more than that, I am a sinner. And the same word and the same work of the Spirit also impress us with the reality of God's justice so that our mouths are stopped. Because by nature, and this is true in all sorts of relationships, by nature we love to make excuses. We love to defend ourselves. We love to explain ourselves, or at least what we think is explaining ourselves. And so maybe we might say, okay, sure, 
I've sinned against God, but, and we're quick to go on, even as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. But when the Holy Spirit works in a powerful, convicting way, then the mouths are stopped. And we recognize the fact that we are guilty before God and His infinite holiness and His infinite justice. And this is the awareness that God's justice must be satisfied. But also there's the recognition of the goal behind this need. What does it mean to be saved? I want to look at that briefly from the negative and from the positive side. What does it mean to be saved? It means to have your sins forgiven. To have the guilt, the object of penalty for our sins, removed, remitted, paid for, dealt with. And that certainly is a main aspect. We need the remission of sins. And so uh, Peter says in his sermon on Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and let everyone of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. But there's also a positive side uh, to this deliverance, and that is reconciliation with God. Now, our sins must be dealt with definitively through the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the goal of this deliverance is that you and I might be reconciled with God. Might be restored to that communion and to that relationship of fellowship uh, that Adam had prior to the fall. And even elevated above and beyond that. And here we can just simply ask ourselves this question tonight. What, what is your greatest goal in life? Now, I know there are a variety of goals, and many of them good. But if you had to boil it down, so to speak, to one thing that you desire, and perhaps we already hint towards the answer when we word it that way, echoing the psalmist, one thing I have desired. What is the one ultimate goal for your life? I trust that you have a goal? Is your goal to enjoy the fellowship with God? Remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 27, one thing I have desired. And in essence, it was to know his God. To be brought back into the experience of fellowship. So often, congregation, Life is so disappointing because we have the wrong goals. Augustine said that we have been created for God and our souls are restless until they find their peace in a restored relationship with God. And maybe tonight the ears of a listener hear these words and your soul is restless. And maybe you've pursued this goal and that goal. Maybe you've gone over the happiness so that you can find uh, in sensual pleasure. Maybe you find yourself secretly or publicly addicted to substances. Maybe you find yourself chasing uh, the ever-eluding dollar or the social status that you think you want, need. And the more you chase these things, the more restless your soul is. That's because we were created for God to enjoy Him forever. 
And so this is the need for satisfaction. There is no rest and there is no peace until fellowship with God is obtained through the deliverance of sinners by the way of the forgiveness of sins. Well, how then do we go about obtaining this satisfaction? That brings us to our second point, the inability, the inability of satisfaction. And the question simply is this, can you save yourself? Can I save myself? Now, many in the world would say yes. And sadly, many in churches, broadly speaking, would also say yes. You can just think of a very popular book, at least in former years, Your Best Life Now, and the teaching was that you yourself can develop your best life now. But the gospel has a different answer, and the gospel says you cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. And you cannot save me, and I cannot save you. And parents, you cannot save your children, and children, you cannot save your parents. By no means. There's no possible way in which we can save ourselves or in which we can save someone else. Well, why not? Because of what we call in the outline the inability of self. And when I use the word you, I include myself and that you, but I want to make this personal and point out the impossibility of saving yourself. First of all, because even if you could, which you can't, even if you could from this moment, if you were to say, okay, it's December 4, it's 545, from this moment on until the end of my life, I will never again commit a single sin. And I want to be clear, lest I be misunderstood, I'm not saying that that's possible. It's not possible. But even if it were possible, which is not, even if you could live a life of perfection from here on out, what would you then do with the sins of yesterday? What would you do with the sins of long ago, which the psalmist says, Lord, do not remember them? And so self-salvation is impossible because even if we could, which we can't, begin to offer unto God perfect obedience to satisfy His righteous requirements going forward, we are completely incapable of dealing with our past. And our past must be dealt with. Even secular psychologists will acknowledge this. You cannot deny the impact that our past has upon our present and upon our future. So I lovingly ask, what are you going to do with your sins of yesterday? What are you going to do with your sins of last year? What are you going to do with your sins of your youth? And that's the first point of our inability of self. The second, even our best works, according to the prophet and Isaiah, are but filthy rags. And, and the language there is, is very graphic. Absolutely soiled rags that are disgusting to even handle. So again, at 545, well, 547 now on December 4, if you say, okay, I'm going to try to keep the law perfectly, even the very best work, and just pick one of them, Maybe you say, well, well, I went to church tonight, and that's a good work. 
Indeed, it is a good work. But you take that one act, okay, I went to church, and if you're going to present that to God, even that best work is stained with sin. For example, the sins of selfish motivation, or the sins of being distracted in the glory of God, or the sins perhaps of thinking of the person behind you, or in front of you, or next to you. Uh, The sins of coming in a spirit of unreconciliation, the sins of bitterness, the sins of grumbling, the sins of complaints, all of those are gross impurities that impact even our best of works. And even if we could present a perfect work, what have we done, Jesus says, other than that which was expected of us? And parents, maybe you have it. You know, your, your child does something that, that's pretty expected, puts his own dish away, and he says, look, Mom, I put my own dish away. And you go, well, I'm, I'm glad you did that. That's to be expected. That's not above and beyond. So even if we could muster up one perfect work and present it to God, we'd still be unprofitable servants. And so the ability of our self to satisfy God's righteousness is an absolute impossibility. And when this is recognized, it ought to motivate this looking outside of ourselves, away from ourselves for satisfaction of deliverance. But our instructor is not done. Our instructor is a very thorough instructor. And he says, okay, because of those two reasons, perfect obedience going forward couldn't satisfy for the sins in the past and the impossibility of offering up perfect obedience going forward. What about someone else? What about any other mere creature? It's almost as if our instructor in Lord's Day 5 is scanning all of created order. And he says, there, there, there perhaps is someone or something out there that can satisfy God's righteousness on our behalf. And this sometimes can become very powerful in Reformed communities, in covenantal communities. Many of us are very appreciative of the godliness of our fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers. Maybe we even think, well, my my great-great-grandfather was this in the church, or my great-great-grandmother, she was such a dear saint, and many of them were pillars in the churches and saints in the churches. But that can't save us. To put it bluntly, no one is ever going to enter into eternal life saying, well, my grandfather was a great Christian man. And no one is ever going to go into heaven saying, well, my grandmother, oh, her prayers were phenomenal. Now, we can be thankful for the spiritual instruction. We ought to be thankful for the spiritual instruction of our forefathers and our mothers and our grandmothers. But they can't save us. When I say, well, what about all of those bloods of bulls and goats in the Old Testament? Could that perhaps satisfy? Not in and of itself. The Day of Atonement and the sacrificial victims on the Day of Atonement, they only had any merit, they only had any efficacy based upon looking forward to the perfect Lamb of God. You might think, well, what about the angels? What about those spiritual beings? Can one of them somehow reconcile us to God? Could Gabriel somehow intercede on our behalf? Uh, could, and here, of course, there is an allusion to the false doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. What about Mary? 
What about Peter? What about Paul? Can they perhaps intercede on our behalf? And the answer is no. Nothing on earth, no mere creature can satisfy the wrath of God. So you might say that we've looked internally. Can I satisfy? No. Then we've looked externally at a horizontal level. Can anyone around me, can anything around me satisfy God? No. And so boys and girls, think about this. We've looked inside. We've looked around on a horizontal plane. No mediator. Well, where do we then look? And I hope you say, we look up. Because that's exactly where satisfaction is to be found. And that's our third point the way of satisfaction. And, and here again, there is, for the, the minister, there's, there's a tension, and, and we appreciate the Heidelberg Catechism, and we are committed uh, to preaching, following the forms that we have, the three forms of unity, but there's a tension when you come to the end of Lord's Day 5, you're like an eager child, and you just can't wait to get into Lord's Day 6. But our instructor walks us very patiently, step by step. And so we also have to be patient when we come to the end of Lord's Day 5 because there's much, much more that we want to say. Which if the Lord grants opportunity, we will say about the way of satisfaction. But the pastoral dilemma is this. We anticipate preaching on Lord's Day 6 next Sunday evening, but we have no guarantees about next Sunday evening. And I well remember when I was examined to be a candidate for the ministry, an older, wiser minister told me, he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, don't ever forget that every time you preach, there might be a listener who hears the gospel for the very first time or for the very last time. So there might be a hearer tonight And this is the first time you hear of the gospel. And there might be a hearer tonight that this is the last time you hear the gospel. So I want to be as clear as I can possibly be. There is a way of satisfying the justice of God. Obtaining the forgiveness of sins. And being reconciled with God. And that way is through the way of the mediator the mediator, the person who's given all of the responsibility of meeting the requirements on behalf of another person. A representative. And it's, it's a great wonder. Sadly, and I, I know this is, this is a problem. Sadly, there are, there are men who are in the ministry who complain about being in the ministry. But what a wonder it is, and what a privilege it is for the gospel minister to stand before a congregation and say, I have a message. There is a mediator. 
And this really ought to create joy in the heart of the minister, and it really ought to create joy in the heart of the congregation. Yes, we have the solemn responsibility to go through uh, the explanation of our sin and of our misery, but then we get the wonderful opportunity to stand before you and to preach in such a way that hopefully it goes uh, far and it goes wide, and we have the wonderful opportunity to say, there is a way for you, for me, for us to be reconciled with God and to have our sins forgiven and to have the prospect of eternal life. Are you ever amazed that some find the gospel to be boring? Isn't it an anomaly that there can be a boring gospel message? What a wonder. There is a mediator. Boys and girls, have you ever found yourself in real danger? in a real sticky situation where you're like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. I can remember when I was a boy, we, we played baseball. This was back, again, we didn't have computers, so we played baseball all the time. And uh, never failed. Eventually, a barn window would get broken by a baseball. And there'd just be that dread in your heart. Oh, no, because we were clearly warned where to play baseball and where not to play baseball. But you know how it goes. Boys will be boys, they say, and the window was broken, and you would dread, dread when the parents would find out. My grandfather lived right next to me, and he was the typical grandfather. He had a stern external face and voice, but internally he had a heart of compassion. And if a window was broken, sometimes he would fix it without even saying anything. And then the whole dread of that broken window, it was all taken away. Oh, we didn't know how to fix a window. An old barn window, you had to take the glazing out with a chisel and put a new pane in after you cut the, uh, the pane of glass and you had to reglaze the... Uh, we couldn't do that. My older brother, he couldn't do it. Our sister, well, she was no help in that area. Well, Grandpa, he could do it. Now, I don't want you to think that Grandpas are mediators, but that's something of what a mediator does. I'm not able to reconcile myself to God. You're not able to reconcile yourself to God. But Jesus Christ is able. And not only able, He has. He has accomplished all that is necessary for there to be reconciliation. You can think of 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. And that's why Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so I trust at this point, if you've followed along, you're convinced by the Word of God and by the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit that you're a sinner and that God is a holy God. But I hope and trust also 
that at this point you are convinced that while you cannot save yourself, and while no mere creature can satisfy for you, that one who is, yes, human, but more than human, also fully divine, God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, can and has accomplished all that is necessary for our salvation. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we stand amazed again in repeated wonder at the gospel of free and sovereign grace. Uh, Lord, we ask that you, by your word and by your spirit, would grant us a, a double internal testimony. May we know our desperate need for satisfaction, but may we also then recognize that Christ and Christ alone has provided such a satisfaction. And so may we not leave here tonight looking at ourselves and what we have done, what we hope to do, but may we leave here tonight looking upon Jesus Christ and what He has done. And may we then testify in our hearts and also one to another that it has been good to be together in the house of the Lord our God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.